Welcome to the Grace College Podcast, a ministry of Grace Bible Church located in College Station, Texas. We desire to impact students who will impact the world for Christ. Hope you enjoy the talk and hang around for more after. Welcome, welcome to Grace Southwood Campus. How are you doing this morning? Well, I'll tell you what, this is a very exciting season in the life of Grace Bible Church. I'll, I'll tell you what. I've been at Grace for a long time, um, a little over 12 years, and, and I'll tell you what, this season right now is one of the most significant seasons in the life of our church. There is no better time than right now to be a part of Grace and where Grace is going. And, and we're in the midst of a major rollout. Over the next five weeks, you are going to get to hear what Grace is going to be a part of and where Grace is going, but more than that, what God is doing in Grace Bible Church and where God is going in the future. It's not about where we're going. It's about where God is leading us. And, and to, to really be a part of that, we are going to have a sermon series that's really dedicated to looking at our hearts and, and how we can be a part of what God is doing next. And I want to show you, there's a, there's a video that's going to be shown at every one of our campuses this morning, at every one of our services, to really get us all unified in going the same direction, seeing the same thing, and really hearing together what God is calling us to be a part of. And for those of you college students who went to main service, you're like, I kind of already saw the video at 9.15. Fear not, it's the same video. But this is the only week we'll, we will show that video. It's just this one time. But we wanted to get everyone, uh, get in front of everyone at one time in one moment. So I'm gonna sh- we're going to show the video. And then after that, we will move into the rest of our sermon. And I'll have some more explanation about it. Out of infinite power, wisdom, and love, God created men and women to know him, to enjoy him, to reflect his beauty on earth. He created us in his own image, so that we could spread his glory throughout all of creation. Even when we rebelled and ran from God, he loved us and he pursued us. He sent his own son, Jesus, to become one of us, to die for our sins and rise from the dead. And because of him, we have life as a free gift. This is the story of God's grace in Jesus Christ. He brings dead hearts to life, transforms relationships, cities, and nations, He brings order from chaos, hope from despair, purpose from confusion. The grace of God in Christ changes everything. This is the story of God's grace, and it is also the story of Grace Bible Church. For more than 50 years, Grace Bible Church has devoted itself to helping people find and follow Jesus in our community and throughout the world. Coming to an understanding that people will excel in every way in life when they have the freedom and knowledge that they are loved no matter what is an incredible gift. The examples that have gone before us, the elders that I served with starting in the 80s and the men that taught the Sunday school classes and into their 80s laid out a foundation for an example of we're here to serve until the day we die. What changes our life is seeing other people's lives changed. That that turned our life upside down. God's Word teaches us to live with eternal significance and motivates us to give our lives to others just as Christ gave His life for us. Since our small church family first met, Grace has sought to accurately teach Scripture and humbly live out the commandments that Jesus has given us. 
Our sermons have over 50,000 views in more than 150 countries. Our Bible studies are used by thousands of people around the world. This is an ongoing testament to the world's hunger for the Word of God. Coming into college, I was looking to find out who I was, not find out who God was at all. I had stopped allowing myself to feel and to be known by other people just because I felt like no one really saw me and no one really understood. Uh, I actually came to Christ during worship here at Grace. He came and he found me in my brokenness and he told me that I have intrinsic worth and that he loves me so much that he um, sent down his one and only son and that he came down himself. 70,000 students now attend Texas A&M and Mumbling College, students who will shape the future of our nation and world. Currently, 2,500 of these college students enter our doors every Sunday. We want them to leave changed by the gospel and motivated to share the name of Jesus wherever God takes them next. And we hope in the years to come to reach even more of these students and connect them to healthy families in our church body who will equip them to serve Jesus for a lifetime. From the very beginning of our church, it was affirmed that we would not exist for our own comfort, but instead so that the nations could hear the good news of Jesus. Before our congregation was even able to pay a full salary to the senior pastor, the church stepped out in faith to sacrificially support four missionaries at the enormous sum of $10 per month. God has more than honored that courageous commitment, and He's allowed our missionaries to plant over 1,600 churches worldwide. He has grown our missions budget from $40 per month to more than half a million dollars every year. Being a part of a church that is mission-minded is easily one of the coolest and most unique experiences because I feel like there are so many churches that really don't care about missions. But when I found out that Grace was like, no, no, we're going to get this out there. Like we, we want to spread it. We want to get this as, as broad as we can in order for other, as, for as many ears as possible to hear. I was like, heck yeah, let's do it. I'm sold. Grace Bible Church began in 1965 with just 10 families. And now 52 years later, we are a thriving multi-site congregation numbering more than 5,000 people. It was just 10 years ago that God stirred our hearts in a new way. He made it clear that Grace could no longer effectively reach this community or send disciple makers to the world from a single location. He laid on the hearts of our elders a multi-site strategy that expands our capacity to equip and send followers of Jesus into our community and throughout the nations. In 2008, with our location on Anderson Street overflowing, we launched the Southwood Campus. As Southwood grew from one service to two services and spreading into the foyer, we knew God was stretching our faith yet again. And so seven years after starting Southwood, we launched our Creekside campus. In the past two years, Creekside has gone from one to two services and doubled in size. We now have 400 worshipers and 150 children each week and have even sent our first two international missions teams from Creekside. Throughout the entire history of Grace Bible Church, every time we have taken courageous steps of faith, God has rewarded our obedience by empowering us to tell even more people about His grace. God has already accomplished so much more than we asked or imagined. And yet we know that our work is not yet complete. 
Now is not the moment for us to congratulate ourselves or become complacent. Our community continues to grow faster than grace-filled churches are being planted. And throughout the world, there are college campuses that the body of Christ is not yet reaching. And so we believe that God is calling us to yet another step of courageous faith. In fact, we believe that we should never stop taking steps of courageous faith, boldly sharing the gospel and making disciples until the day our Lord Jesus returns, until the day when every knee in heaven and on earth will bow to Jesus Christ. That biblical vision has led us to call this next season in the life of our church, Every Knee. This initiative is going to require the participation of everyone in our church family. Our primary goal is that during this season, every one of us will learn more deeply what it means to love God and worship Him from an undivided heart. That every one of us and all of us together will experience the joy of generously giving all that we have and all that we are to Jesus. We have asked the Lord to show us what kind of impact He wants us to make for His glory. This has led us to our secondary goal of raising $32 million over the next two years to reach our neighbors and the nations while continuing to pursue the ministry that we do every day. Our current budget is just under $6 million every year. That's what it takes to fund all the current ministry that Grace is doing. Over the next two years, this $12 million puts us over a third of the way toward funding our vision for every need. As Bryan College Station continues to grow, we want to press forward. Our hope is that every neighbor will have the opportunity to hear and respond to God's grace in Jesus Christ and fellowship in a disciple-making community. Because of this, we are seeking to establish a permanent facility for our Creekside campus while also taking steps toward establishing our next local campus. To continue expanding our reach to our surrounding neighbors, we are seeking to raise $18 million. Throughout our entire history, Grace Bible Church has joined with like-minded followers of Jesus to share the gospel and plant churches among the nations. Within the next two years, we plan to partner with other churches and networks to plant one new church near a strategic university campus in the United States and one new church near a strategic university campus internationally. In order to provide support for these new plants, we are seeking to raise $2 million. Altogether, our commitment to continue in ministry every day, even as we stretch to reach every neighbor and every nation, totals $32 million over the next two years. We are taking steps toward establishing us. We'll partner together in our church's vision as we step forward. William Carey, the great missionary pioneer, once said, Expect great things from God. Attempt great things for God. What we sense that God has laid on our hearts feels a bit overwhelming, but also exciting. And so first, we ask that you pray fervently. We know that apart from the movement of God's Spirit, nothing of eternal significance is accomplished in this world. So let's pray that our church would move forward in humility, in dependence, but also with boldness, because we know that the growth of his church is the longing of God's heart. Remembering God's faithfulness to us over the years, that God gave us everything. Are we honoring him with everything uh, that he's given us? And then as we look forward and we want him to continue to use us, will we honor him with everything that he's going to give us in the future? Second. Let's give generously from the resources God has given us, whether small or great. Everything we have belongs to Him. Allow God to grow your generosity and your faith as together we seek to follow Him. 
when you are giving or when you're giving, whether it's time or whether it's financially. I think that you're just expressing this love for God and for God's people. Finally, celebrate boldly the vision God has given us. Share your enthusiasm for all that God has done and continues to do in every one of us at Grace over the next two years. I look back um, and, and, and almost reenact the gospel over and over as far as what Christ has done for me. And I say that I am pardoned and I am forgiven. And the more that I realize that, then the giving is more of an outflow. God wants every man, woman, and child to know Jesus, and so do we. He is our God and our King. He is worthy of our offerings and our worship. He is worthy of all that we have and all that we are. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, All right, all right. Well, if you have a Bible, flip to Romans chapter 12 for us. Romans chapter 12, and we are going to jump in. That is the rollout of where we are going, and uh, there are some more details of that. And so I want to give you um, a couple of resources. So flip into your Bible first. And then secondly, um, as, you're, as you're flipping there, table host, would you mind open up yeah, the, the books and begin passing those around to your tables. When, when I first heard that number several months ago, I was like, sure, Monopoly money sounds fun to play with. Uh, really, are we, are we really going to do that? And, and, and then, I, then I looked at what it actually took to do what God was calling us to do, and I went, okay, so there's, there's where my faith lands. When God calls you to do something in following him, it is always beyond your ability. It takes courage. And so it also takes courage, but it also takes good planning. And so we are, we are thinking through what it, what it would take to do this well. What does it take to really move the gospel from where we have it further beyond to places that reach beyond anywhere we can even imagine? And one of the tools, one of the resources we want to give to you guys, and everyone is getting this at Grace Bible Church, is this book. It's called the Every Knee Book. And in it, at the very beginning, it's a, a, a letter from our pastors or a table of contents. It has descriptions of where the money is going. And I want to give you like just a couple of ideas of what it, what it takes to run Grace Bible Church the way that we currently run. The first of that $32 million, $12 million of it is exist, existing operating budget. It takes, for two years, $12 million to support the ministries that we currently have at Grace Bible Church, of which we are all great beneficiaries of that. That's over the next two years, that $12 million. $18 million we're setting aside to reach every neighbor in Bryan College Station. That $16 million of that is to build the Creekside Campus. And you're like, Kevin, uh, $16 million, my, ha- my apartment does not cost that much, nor does my house. Um, South of town, the land is going for a premium. And what we've also seen is there are not many churches. As you head south, kind of heading towards Houston, uh, there, are, there are not many churches as you get out there. There's a couple on the highway, but not a lot in there. And it is the, the most populous growing region of this area. 
And so we've pl- placed Creekside strategically there and to actually build a campus for them um, that they can continue to spread the gospel in that area of town costs $16 million. We also want $2 million for the future campus here in the Bryan College Station area to kind of get that up and running. We are also looking to plant more churches in and that, that church planting will look like this. Other university family churches in other college campuses around the nation. Let's just think about that for a second. What you have experienced in your college time here at Grace Bible Church, we want to give other college students in other cities that same opportunity to meet Jesus, to, to grow in a relationship with Jesus. And so the number for that is about $2 million, and we want to plant some overseas. And there's another part of that. All of the details of that are, are in this book. And here's the thing. We don't want anything to be unclear, and we don't want to mask anything that we're doing. We want to literally give it as a tool for you to look at and evaluate and ask tons of questions along this journey with us. Okay? We want to be straightforward with what we're talking about. Okay? There's another piece in that book as well, and it's this commitment card. Um, this commitment card is uh, not a pledge card. If you've been a part of churches in the past that have uh, pledge campaigns of this is the rallying point, this is, uh, you know, so we know that you're a part of this. I- I'll tell you what, th- this is not about um, guaranteeing money. No one's going to knock on anyone's door about this. We actually just want to hear from the Lord. Uh, Jesus has a parable where he says, look, if, if you're going to build a tower, you've got to consider the cost. You've got to figure out if you, if you have the resources to actually move in this direction. What this is about is, is saying, okay, are our people on board? Are we moving together as one in this direction? Is this really what God has for us? This is an opportunity for you to communicate back with us. And so week five, that's going to be May 6th, um, there's an opportunity to respond with this commitment card. Um, On the left side, if you're looking on the inside of it, there's um, the description of the primary goal is this, 100% engagement. And what that means is this. God owns all of us. Our time, our talents, our treasure, our skills, our abilities, everything. God owns it. And what we're saying is this. We want us to really be a part, number one, of 100% just giving all of us to God, being willing to live open-handed in life. That's the first part. It's really a discipleship question. Am I willing to live open-handed with my life and my resources? The second thing really in this is there's a, a financial sticker that we're looking at to move this forward. So we want to be committed to God fully, open-handed, and we want to say, Lord, this is what's being asked of me. This is, the, this is the giving that we're looking at. And in this, this, this helps us to know what we can actually do. This is, this is a way to communicate with us. This is what I would be willing to be a part of, and this is, this is how, what I could give towards that. Um, the first box is, what do you normally give? The next box is, what, what would you be willing to, to commit to? And we just want to celebrate those numbers. Um, those numbers on the back are, are more look at, hey, what does it take to actually fund this type of, of mission? And, I, and I want to I tell you this. I know when we roll this out, for some of you, you you've been a part of churches that, that have giving um, rallies, pledges, that sort of thing as part of their regular cycle of church. We have never done this before. So how many times has, has ever need come, up, come around? Goose egg. Never. 
How many times is it going to come around in the future? I don't know. I don't think this is, this is totally new territory for us to engage in. But what we do know is this. If our people aren't committed to go with us, we can't move forward. And we, these initiatives are much bigger than anything we have ever dreamed of. But we feel like God is really challenging us to take steps of faith to say, all right, the gospel is worth it. The gospel is worth it. And I want to take this gospel further and be a part of moving this gospel to the ends of the world. And this is an opportunity to see, okay, how can I partner with grace in moving that? And that's what this initiative is about. Our sermon series um, is really in large part going to be talking about discipleship. And we are going to be looking over the next five weeks at what does it look like to follow God with all that we have. Another piece at the end of this book, um, if you're in our small groups, there are actually small group discussion questions at the very end of it. Um, this, this will be guiding the content that we do in our small group Bible studies as well. Um, just to consider, all right, Lord, am I living freely with, with everything that's in, my, that's in my grasp? That's the big part. That is that book I want to introduce. And, uh, and I'll tell you this. I want feedback. I want questions from you guys. I want to hear from you guys. Um, we are inviting you into a process. We are not telling you um, what we are doing. We're asking, please, partner with us and see what God might do with something so big right in front of us. Does that sound good? All right. Well, let me pray for us, and then we're going to dive into our message. Lord, thank you so much for this morning. And Lord, I know that this initiative is, is bigger than anything... Um, I've ever been a part of, bigger than a lot of anything that we have been a part of as a community. And Lord, it is, it is bigger than anything that any one of us could pull off. And I think that's the beauty of it, Lord, that you're calling us to be a part of something so big, so God sized that God, you are the only one who can pull it off. And so Lord, I pray that you would give us clarity. You would give us wisdom You would give us unity as we embark on a new initiative. And Lord, that we would trust you with our whole lives. And Lord, by your grace, we would live our whole lives in light of your glory to spread your kingdom. It's in your holy name we pray. Amen. Let me read you one verse from Romans and we'll dive in. Romans chapter 12, starting in verse 1. And actually only in verse 1. It says this, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. When I went to college, um, my freshman year, I went to a, a college ministry, and, and I grew up in a church that was, that, was, that was good. It was a good church. There were solid people there, but I did not get it. Like, I didn't get who God was. I didn't get who Jesus was. And, and stylistically, it was very different than what we experienced here. And the church that I went to was, was more like the experience that we have here. And so I remember um, I ran track in college, and so one of the guys on the team invited me. He said, hey, come with me to this church. You'll, there's a ton of college students there. You'll love it. And it's very similar to Grace. And I'm like, I'm like, okay, I'll check it out. And so I go with him week one. 
And I remember parking far, far away in the middle of nowhere, like weaving through these random streets. And I'm like, where is the church? And they're like, oh, it's over that way. And I, I get there and they bring us into this basement below the church where all the college students meet. And it was a, it was a gymnasium, but like a basement gymnasium. And I remember getting into that college service and like having to squinch on a stage on the side of the room. And he's sitting there like, oh, this is, this is a good seat. We can actually see from here. I'm like, what are we doing? And we're sitting there and the room is filled with people and we're watching this guy and they start singing worship songs. And I'd never experienced worship in that way. I grew up in a more traditional church, so I was used to organs and robes. These people were guitars and staging and like into it. And I'm like, this is different, but cool. And and I remember sitting through like five songs. I was like, they sing a long time here. This is this is interesting. And and then I and then the guy gets up to speak. There's a guy named David Daniels. He leads a Pentecostal Bible church now. And he got up there and spoke the word of God. And I went, I've never heard anything like this before. I've never heard someone really open up the word, explain what it's saying, and call me to give my life to Jesus. And week one, I was like, uh, kind of weird. Kind of intriguing, kind of weird, kind of intriguing. And so I, I'm a little bit reticent week one, but I couldn't stay away. I mean, there was something about the worship that was happening on. There was something about the word that was being proclaimed. Every week I was like, I've got to go back. Now, I'd gone with my friend. I never saw him attend again. I'm sure he did sporadically. But I remember each week we would do a long Sunday run, and I would come back, park in Neverland, and then get my way into that room, squinch in on some stage or random place, and listen to the word of God being preached. I remember my freshman year, the only contact I had with Christian community was each week when I went to those sermons. And after two years of that, I spent one summer in in Colorado, and I always call it my time with my charismatic cousins in Colorado because they're more charismatic. They're my cousins. They lived in Colorado. And they started talking about... (laughs) They're my names. And they started talking about a God who who was alive and moving in the world. And changing people's lives. And, and I just saw the passion in which they lived and, and the things that they were calling me to. And they're like, have you thought about reaching into your community and, and spreading the gospel? And I'm like, no, I never, I never thought. I mean, I go, but I never really thought about like, engaging more than that. Like I, I attend, but I didn't talk about anything else. And, and I remember going back that summer or the next year into the dorms. And I went, what the heck? I'm going to try to get the gospel out. I want to try to get more people to know the Jesus that I met. And I came home each summer on fire. Yeah, I love the statement from John Wesley. He says, set yourself on fire and people love to come watch you burn. And I just wanted to go and tell each person. So literally, I went around the dorms and knocked on doors. And I was like, hey, I'm doing a Bible study. You want to come? They're like, no, weird. And they closed the door. I'm like, forget it. I would go to the next guy. And most of the guys on the track team that I could influence were freshmen. And, you know, I was like a junior, very mature, you know, junior's room. And so I just go over to the freshmen. I'd knock on the door. I'm like, hey, do you want to come to a Bible study? No. But I got like three of them. I convinced them. I went to a little study room. And I'm like, okay, I've been in a Bible study for like 10 minutes. And I've never led anyone. Let's see where it goes. And I did my best to gather these people over this year and try to share the word of God with them. And that was my start in ministry. 
back in 2001, I said, God, I've been, I've been so changed by your word. I've been so changed by what you have done to me. And I want everyone to know you. And it may be difficult, it may be hard, but because I've experienced this life-changing process of knowing Jesus, I immediately want to go make him known. I want to see other people experience the same Jesus that I came to know and love. And I love Paul's words here because that's exactly the motivation he gives. He says, I want you to first think about God. And this verse in Romans chapter 12, he says, look, God is a giver. I want you to think about God primarily as a giver. Romans chapter 12, verse 1, it says this, Therefore I appeal to you, brothers, by the mercies of God. He says, I want you to focus first on all the mercies that God has given you. God has given you so much. We all are recipients of the mercy of God. 1 Timothy 6.13 says this, I charge you in the presence of God, Timothy, who gives life to all things. He gave us life. Are you breathing today? I hope so. Otherwise, we'll have an ambulance here in a little bit. God gave you that breath. James 1.17 says, says it this way, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. He says, every good and perfect gift. Have you gotten a good gift this year? Have you gotten into college? Yeah, I guess I did. Have you gotten a roommate? Well, that's not a good gift, Kevin. Okay, well, I mean, do you have people to live with? Do you have friends? Do you have a family? Do you have a dog, right? Do you have a good book? Do you listen to good music? Do you have a cell phone? Every good and perfect gift that we have, it comes down from the Father of lights, the sun that shines, the rain that falls. Every good gift is from God. Why? Because God, in his essence, is a giver. And he gives not out of compulsion. He gives for love. John 3.16 says it this way. For God so loved the world that he did what? He gave. He gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. And Paul says, before we talk about what to present, I want you to first hear about who God is. He's a giver. He gave you life and breath and every good gift that you have in the essence of creation is a trinity of a life-giving, loving Father, Son, and Spirit who give And not only that, God doesn't need from you. Kevin, you rolled out a giving campaign. What do you mean God doesn't need from me? You put a number out there, what does he need from me? Oh, this made my application easy. (laughs) No, God doesn't need from you. Psalm 50 says it this way. Hear, O my people, and I will speak to you, O Israel. I will testify against you. I am God, your Lord. Not for your sacrifices do I rebuke you. Your burnt offerings are continually before me. Let me explain this. In the Old Testament, the Jewish people would offer sacrifices to God as a, as a moment to say, I am a sinner and I am showing that, that there's blood that's needed to cover my sin. And so each year, especially at Yom Kippur, they would offer sacrifices continually to God. 
And God says, look, I'm not testifying against you because of your sacrifices, your burnt offerings. They're, they're coming before me all the time. You have, you have never stopped giving, but that's not the problem. He says, I will not accept a bull from your house or goats from your folds. Look, I don't, I don't want any more of your sacrifices. He goes on to say this. Why don't you want them, God? Do you need them? Just to fill some inadequacy within you, God? No. He says, for every beast of the field forest is mine and the cattle on a thousand hills. I know all the birds on the hills and all that moves in the fields is mine. If I were hungry, like if I was like, oh, I'm famished, I'm God, what am I going to do? I wouldn't tell you. If I were hungry, I wouldn't tell you, for the world is mine and its fullness are mine. Do I eat the flesh of bulls or do I drink the blood of goats? No, the answer is no. God doesn't need sustenance to, to give him energy. He wouldn't ask us if he actually needed food. What he's saying is this. I want you, when you come to me, this is what I'm talking about. I don't need you to fill my stomach. What I'm asking you to do is this to offer to God a sacrifice of thanksgiving, to perform your vows to the Most High, and call upon me in the day of trouble, and I will deliver you, and you shall glorify me. He says, look, when you come to me and you offer sacrifices, you think you're meeting a need in me. That's not what this is about. This is about an overflow. This is about you coming to me because I've, I've given you so much. I don't need your food, but you come to me because I don't need your worship to come primarily from money. I don't need your money, but giving is an act of delight. See, when you come to me, it's about thanksgiving. It's about giving out of an overflow of a heart that has received so much. C.S. Lewis um, when he was a young man, he was a, he was a non-believer for most of his life. And at one point, he started reading the Bible seriously for himself. And as he's reading it, he's going, okay, why is God in the Psalms in particular always asking for praise? I mean, is he needy? Is he, does he need something from me? And here's what C.S. Lewis writes. I think it's beautiful. He says, but the most obvious fact about praise, whether of God or anything, strangely escaped me. I thought of it in terms of compliment or approval or the giving of honor. I never, I had never noticed that all enjoyment spontaneously overflows into praise unless, and, and uh, sorry, spontaneously erupts in praise. The world rings of praise. Lovers praise their mistresses. Readers praise their favorite poet. Walkers praise the countryside. Players praise their favorite game. Praise of weather, wines, dishes, actors, motors, horses, colleges, countries, historical personages, and he goes on to list. Everything, what happens when you've experienced something great, it erupts in praise. And he says this, I think we delight to praise what we enjoy because the praise not merely expresses but completes the enjoyment. It is its appointed consummation. He says, when you've experienced something great, the most reasonable response is to respond by, by giving something, by giving praise, by giving delight, by saying, that's amazing. It's, it's giving of yourself. And he's, that's why Paul goes on to say, look, God doesn't need it. it is, he is in and of himself given so much. But because we have received so much, the natural response is to overflow a life of giving 
and giving is the right response. In Romans chapter 1, he says this, In the view of the mercies of God, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. He says, when you've received so much, the most natural, normal response is to overflow and give. When he says the word living sacrifice, what he's saying is this. In the Old Testament, like we said, it's, you, they would offer sacrifices to God. But because of the death and burial and resurrection of Christ, we no longer offer sacrifices. One sacrifice paid it all. Jesus died in your place for your sins to meet all of the requirements of God. It's all done in Christ. Everything is finished. And so the response of our lives isn't about earning God's favor. When we talk about giving of ourselves to God, it means this. God's not going to love you more. That's the wrong motivation to give. Also, secondly, it doesn't mean that you're going to curry God's favor. It also doesn't mean that God's going to fill your pocketbook back up, right? When you give, hey, you sow a little bit, he sows a lot. Like, that, that's not what we're playing either. But what we are saying is this, that giving is the right response to demonstrate devotion and love. It's the right response. And Aggies, you know this. You've seen this. So football season's going to come around every year. And some of you are going to need to pull tickets, Right? And what is your, how do you demonstrate your devotion to Aggie football? One person gets up at like 2 a.m., goes and sits in line, camps out, drinking coffee and drugs, you know, just trying to like stay awake that whole time. And you sit there and you wait and sweat and wait and wait and wait. And finally you're like, I got the tickets, people all four together. And you're like, praise the Lord, we did it. And it doesn't stop there. You go to the game. You stand in the stands. You, you hump it like the axe, right? You get there in the moment. You're going to yell. You're going to fight. You're going to dedicate five to 20 hours of your day, right? Cheering on this team. And guess what? It doesn't stop when you graduate. You've seen these people, right? They're from Dallas, Madagascar. They're going to load up in their Winnebago, right? Their motorhome. And they've got all the kids in there. And they've got food to last them five months. And they're like, where are you going? Tailgate, Aggie football. When are you going to get there? Wednesday, and we're going to leave Sunday, maybe Monday, right? They're going to dedicate all of this time, and you're like, what do you say to that person? You are devoted, right? Like, your love has caused you to buy vehicles, buy tickets, wait late. Like, you want to be there because devotion and love overflows naturally to give of yourself. It's so normal. And some of you will experience this, men. When you try to buy that ring for that one. Because you're probably going to do it at a time in life when you have no money. That was me. I was in college. I didn't have a job because I was running track. And I remember I was planning. I was like, okay, I'm going to get engaged to this woman. I want to ask her to marry me. And I live on peanuts and hope. How am I going to rally enough money to buy this gift to sh- demonstrate my love? How am I going to do it? Well, on the track team, they would give us uh, money at every race we would travel to called per diem. And they would give us an amount of money that we were supposed to use to buy food. And I was like, this is my only source of income. I will live on PB&J and set this cash aside. I will not eat for the one that I love, right? 
So I'd literally save this money. I had like a little stash in my sock drawer of money that I was saving for to buy this ring. And I'd count it up like, okay, we're getting ready. And it came to the end of that year, that summer, um, I, I, I ran professionally for a little while, ran some professional races, and, uh, which is less lucrative than it sounds. <laughs> and, uh, and, and so I, I would go there and I would do well at the race and then there would be some prize money. And so that prize money would get set back into the stack. And I remember at the end of that summer, as I counted all that money together, I was like, perfect. I'm going to take this $15. <laughs> I'm joking, it was more than that, but no. Um, and then I, I called my sister and I said, I said, uh, Allison, you live in Houston. At the time, I was living in Utah. Um, different story. And, uh, and I said, I want to buy a ring, but I don't want to buy it in Utah because I'm never coming back here. And, and I want to, um, Utah's fine. I just wasn't, anyway. Um, <laughs> I'm going to get resized in Utah, you know what I'm saying? So we're coming back to Texas. And, and so I said, okay, I need you to buy me a ring in Houston, and I need you to get it ready. And so she goes to, like, this sketchy place, buys a blood diamond. I go, anyway, it's a weird deal, um, but the right price. And, and I get that ring, and I was going to be running in the Olympic trials in, uh, in California. And so I said, Mom, you've got to get that ring of love and you put it in your purse, and you fly it over to me, and she did, and she brought it to me, gave me the ring, I put it in my little bag in my room, and I'm like, this is to demonstrate to the one that I love how much I care for her. And the day came when I was going to propose, we got in my car, drove to Lake Tahoe, great place, got a little spot on Lake Tahoe, laid out the Blanket, had wine and flowers, brought my girl down, got on my knee, and I opened the ring. And what I didn't say in that moment is, baby, you better appreciate this. I didn't eat for a year. I ran races for you. Like, I, I didn't try to guilt her into receiving the gift, right? I didn't say, like, I'm paying you this, you better pay me back later on. Like, I didn't do that. That wasn't the game. The game was this. I've experienced your love, and I want to show you my love. And so I'm willing to sacrifice, I'm willing to work, I'm willing to do whatever I can to buy this ring, to get on one knee, to show you that I love you and I care for you. And, and if I had bought a lesser ring, she wouldn't have been upset about it she would have seen the devotion of love and said, that's beautiful. Yes. And she said, yes, by the way, she's right there. And that's what it looks like in view of all that God has given. You give what you can. And that's what God celebrates. There's only a few times in, in the life of Jesus where you see Jesus actually being astonished. There's only like a few times. One was with a satirian soldier who, who said, hey, I see your authority. You've got authority like no other. And, and Jesus is astonished at that man's faith. But there's a second moment. It's in Mark chapter 12. In that moment, Jesus is sitting there and he's, he's watching at the temple gates. And as he sat down opposite the treasury and watched the people putting their money into the offering box, and many of the rich people put in large sums. So, so he's watching people kind of give their offering in this moment. They're coming, and then some people are, are very wealthy, and they're, they're writing big checks, big money bags. And in verse 42, and a, and a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, 
which makes about a penny, which is what you're making as a college student, right? Living on hope and loans, right? And Jesus in that moment called his disciples over to him and said, okay, hold on, hold on, hold on. Did you see that? Like he wanted to take a moment to highlight what just happened. He says, she put in less than a penny, but I want you to come over here and look at this. He says, truly I said to you, this poor widow has put in more than all who are contributing to the offering box. For they all contributed out of their abundance, but she out of her poverty has put in everything she had to live on. What astonished Jesus in this moment isn't the amount, it's the heart. See, when we're talking about giving, it's not about the number. It's about the heart that says, you know what, Lord, you're worth all of me. You're worth, you've given me life and breath and everything. And the, and the only normal response, the only reasonable response to the gifts that I have given is to be willing to give myself to you. And I don't care what the number is. That's between you and the Lord. But are you willing to say, Lord, all that I have is yours. I'm willing to live open-handed with my life and, and whatever the number is that you're calling me to give and be a part of, is it more time to serve other people that you love? Is it, is it my future, God, that you're calling me to release my grip on, to live fully for you? Is it financial? And I hate asking for money and that's a strong word. I strongly dislike asking for money because it feels like some other agenda, but it's not. It's about the heart. I will never know what you give. Praise be to God. But God will. And he's saying, are you willing to live open-handed with your life, giving because you've so received? See, God's a giver. The reasonable response is to respond in giving. But thirdly, and I I think I'd be doing a disservice without showing this to you, our giving is for the purpose of getting more worshipers. Our giving is for the purpose of getting more worshipers. See, giving is the fuel by which more people come to the knowledge of Jesus. You're like, Kevin, I don't know if I believe that. Well, let's go to the Bible. Luke chapter 8. Soon afterward, after he, that's Jesus, went through the cities and villages proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God, and the twelve were with him, and also some women who had been healed from evil spirits and infirmities. Mary called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out. That's that a good win. And Joanna, the wife of uh, Chusa, Herod's household manager, so the high position. Herod was, was a ruler at that time. And uh, Susanna, and many others who provided for them out of their own means. You ever wonder how Jesus' mission got funded as he was preaching the gospel? Well, he, didn't he just like ask a fish to like give him some food? Like, didn't that happen one time? Yeah, it happened one time to pay a tax. Didn't he just like make bread in the wilderness like constantly, like clown car bread? Sometimes. No, that happened a couple times. But the majority of Jesus' ministry was supported financially by people that saw what he was doing and said, I want to be a part. See, Jesus' ministry was supported financially, and so was Paul's. Paul in Philippians 18, 4.18 says this, I've received from the Philippian church full payment and more. I'm well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering 
a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And he tells you, he's like, it's not about the gift. I'm just thankful that you believed in what I was doing, so you gave financially. And the last part is this. Second Corinthians is similar. Similarly, it's, it's an overflow. The abundance of joy and the extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part, for they gave according to their means, as I testi- as I testify, and far beyond their means of their own accord. He says, look, the, the mission is constantly funded by generous people that give what they have and what they can. The last part I would give you is this. The motivation for giving is about joy. The motivation for giving what you have is for the joy that God has given you and the joy that you get to see spread. Paul says it this way in 2 Corinthians. The point is this. What's the point, Paul? He's been talking about giving this whole section. You can read it later. And at the end of the day, what's the point? The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. And that's in all parts of life. If you don't tell anyone about the gospel, don't expect anyone to respond to the gospel. You tell a lot of people about the gospel, you expect a lot of people to respond to the gospel. If you sow sparingly in life, you'll reap, you'll reap sparingly. But if you sow bountifully, you're going to see more growth. Each one must give as he has decided in his own heart. Not reluctantly, and I wanted you to read this word, or under compulsion. I want to be clear on this. God knows what's yours. And God knows what you need. And God's not asking you to give because you feel guilty or you feel like God will love you more or because you feel like you have to or because Kevin needs to stop talking. Like those, those are not the reasons. So it's never reluctantly or under compulsion for God loves a cheerful giver. You see, when you give, it's about an overflow. It's about God has given me so much and I, the right response is to, to give back and see the gospel go out, to see more churches planted, to see more lives changed, and to see the gospel continue to move. And God, who is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. He says, this is your step in following God. And it's not about compulsion. It's not because God needs your money. It's because God in his grace is a giver. And the natural response is to respond to give. And that, by God's sovereign hand, is the way that he has chosen to move his message forward. I don't know why, but it's what we have. And so part of your discipleship is to say, Lord, if all is yours and I'm yours, what does it look like for me to give more of myself for you from a heart who loves you and a heart that wants to make you known? And the goal, the end of the story, so that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Christ is God and Lord. And you know what heaven is going to be like? Do you know what heaven's going to be like? I don't know, Kevin, I missed that series over there. Okay, well, podcast it. It's going to be a party. It's going to be a celebration. It's going to be a moment when everyone that you've loved 
will be there if they know Jesus in eternity with God. And it means that lots of people that you don't know are going to be there and you get to meet them in eternity with God. It means every tear will be wiped away. Every pain will be fixed. And it means that every heartache will be made right at that side of heaven. And everyone's going to confess Jesus is Lord. And you know what we, you know what we can only do in this time frame that we can never do at any other time? You can't evangelize in heaven. They're all going to know. Right? You can't give financially in heaven. God's going to take care of it all. You can't walk by faith in heaven because we're walking by sight. You can't be called to risk like you can right now because God's going to be fully known and life is going to be fully clear and planned out. At this time in heaven, the reason missions exist is because worship doesn't and God wants us to get more worshipers in and the way to do that is to be a part of what he's doing. You may say, Kevin, I'm graduating. How does this apply to me? Your next church needs you to have this heart. Jesus needs you to have this heart. I've received, and because I'm so loved, I so give. And so your next step may be with us, or your next step may be with someone else, but I'll tell you what, you have to make a next step. You need to make a next step. You don't have to. You need to make a next step. And everyone will benefit from a heart, your heart, that lives generously and gives all because it's worth it. We pray for us. Lord, I thank you so much for your word. And Lord, I know that this is a big ask. And I know as a college student It sounds like, okay, that's a good idea, Kevin, but I don't have any money. I don't have anything to give. And I I pray, Lord, that we would be people that live open-handed with our whole lives. And the number doesn't matter to you, but an open heart, a willing heart, is what you are after. So, Lord, I pray that as we walk through this initiative, we would be people that would grow to live generously, Because we've received so much from you, Father. And the world needs to know a God who loves them and can save them. I lift up these students to you. I lift up this process, this initiative to you. That you would help us to move forward as one. And Lord, you might spread your gospel further than it is right now. Through the power of your people. It's in your name we pray. The power of your spirit through your people. In your name we pray. Amen. Uh, unfortunately, because of the video and stuff, we're going to have like a short like couple catch-up points with our table groups. And I want to give you one last final announcement. Next week, we will not be here because we are going to be across the street at A&M Consolidated High School. One of the ways you can participate with us uh, and give of yourselves is actually to serve with us. Um, April 14th, um, from three to f- three to five, we're going to be over there setting up the auditorium, putting up signs everywhere. If you can be a part of that, we would love to have you at a Consolidated High School from uh, three to 5 PM on April 14th. It is family weekend. Kevin, can my parents come? You bet they can. Would love for your family to join us, siblings, friends, whatever. Um, and I would encourage you this. You're going to get, uh, invitations, um, on the way out, invite a friend.
invite a friend to come with us. Um, and it'll be exciting to see what God's going to be leading us to in moving over to Consol. Uh, have great touchpoint table discussion, and you'll have a great week.